0: The Lord is good. He is so good. A couple of announcements I want to share with you. <clears throat> I'll tell you what, before I do that, I'd I like to have you just... As we've been talking, you have your notes this morning again that are going to list all the scriptures for you that we're going to go through this morning. I would ask that you would follow along with me. It's somewhat disheartening and discouraging when I look out over the congregation and I see people reading the want ads and perusing the bulletin. As I'm trying to make a point, I see people yawning, looking for a new dishwasher or a a mate or something, you know, spouse, being advertised in the bulletin, a roommate. Please try to follow along with me in the notes and uh, certainly in your Bible. I've given you all the passages of Scripture so that those of you who are new, you don't have to thumb through the Bible trying to find where I am. There's a lot of them. Uh, So they're right there in your notes. You can follow along. I'll be looking at them from the scriptures. And uh, if you want to follow along with me in the scriptures and you're not sure where to go, just elbow the person next to you and say, hey, can you help me find this? Okay? And I'm sure that they'll help you. Paul, as we have been going through Romans, Paul has said in the 16th verse of that first chapter that I am not ashamed of the gospel. And the reason he says he's not ashamed, he says because it's the power of God. The power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Essentially, Paul is saying that God's word is powerful. When people believe it, when people put their faith in it. That God's word has the power to change people's lives. God's word. As we talked last week and as I acquainted you with some of the areas that I have grave concern over that are permeating the church, that a large portion of the church lacks certainty about God's word. They are, in a sense, ashamed of the gospel. They're ashamed of God's word. God's word is not powerful enough. It's not sufficient enough for their life. They need to introduce other elements into their life that the Bible doesn't talk about. The Bible doesn't encourage. And these other elements are in addition to the scriptures. And I shared with you the the penchant in our society and our culture to be entertained, and hence the church has a uh, a tremendous hunger for entertainment. Now, that doesn't mean that our services have to be boring, but that doesn't mean either that we come to be entertained, that we gather together for entertainment, that our mini-churches and Bible studies are to be places of entertainment that we need to be people who are maturing in God's Word. We are maturing in our spirituality. When we see people who are, who are desiring more and more entertainment, that the things of God, the Word of God is boring, that's a sign, a sure sign of lack of spiritual maturity. I share with you my concerns over this world and the, the tremendous emphasis on success and all the techniques, and all the seminars, and all the books written on on the on all the success models, and and even myself that I, I have fallen prey to some of that. But I've been in the process of repenting of that before the Lord. But that how the church imports the worldly success models because they seem to work. Just because they work, don't mean that they're true. There's lots of things that work, but they're not true. They're not based in God's word. They're not not part of God's design. And you have to search the Scriptures to be able to discern what's true and what's not true. Just because it works doesn't necessarily mean it's true. We have to understand that. There's too great a segment of the church that is not walking by faith, but is learning to walk by sight. Paul tells us in the 5th chapter of 2 Corinthians, the 7th verse, He says that we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith, naked faith. Jesus says in another place when he's teaching his disciples that, that he says, blessed are you because you, you see me. He said, but really blessed are those who don't see me and yet still believe. By faith, not by sight, not by sight. And yet we import all these models and all these techniques into the church in the name of church growth, in the name of success, and all that stuff. And they're not biblical at all. We're not trusting in God. We're trusting, as Isaiah says, in horses and chariots. Not trusting in the Lord our God. I shared with you my concern over uh, this great move and this great emphasis on signs and wonders that people are seeking signs and wonders for the sake of signs and wonders, that more and more people are reaching into the realm of the occult, into the demonic. They don't think they're doing that, but that is in fact what they're doing. We have, uh, bottom line, emerging into the church, a new evangelical religious science. We have people practicing all sorts of things. There's a formulas for this and formulas for that People are seeking out ecstatic experience. People are seeking out supernatural experience. They are not seeking a relationship with Jesus Christ. They're not humbling themselves. But they're running helter-skelter, seeking out all this stuff in the name of spirituality. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And people have said to me, well, don't you believe in miracles? Yes, I believe in miracles. I just... Paul just shared a miracle. But I don't believe that we go running after them. Jesus' words, remember, when the Pharisees asked for miracles and signs, he turned to them and he rebuked them and he said, It is a, a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after these things. It's a generation of people who do not believe in God's word. You say, Well, I believe in God's word. What does it mean to believe in his word? What does it mean to have faith in God's word? It means not that I just read it. It means that I study it. It means that I know it. And it means that I act on it by faith. What does that mean? It means without anything else, I have naked faith. God's word says it. I'm going to stand out here and believe it regardless of what my circumstances look like or say to me and regardless of what my emotions say you know as well as i do we go through tremendous emotional swings don't we and very often we're tempted to succumb to the to the emotional pull and cave in under the pressure or our circumstances dictate to us very loudly they scream at us god's not there he doesn't hear you need to do this rather than standing on god's word and yet people are running off, and they're, they're developing a whole attitude, a whole mindset that we're in, we're, we've got to have this, this science now of formulas and, and, and so forth. Some of you were mad at me because I said that, that this binding and loosing has nothing to do with binding and loosing the devil. It doesn't. If you understand and, and, and research the scriptures where those words are used, they have no place for that. That's, that's not a biblical concept. Um, somebody's mad at me because I, I don't rebuke the devil. You know what the strongest rebuke of the devil is? It's obeying the word of God. And you know when you really believe the word of God is when you're obeying it. And that is the strongest rebuke of the devil. He has no power. He can't do anything. That's what spiritual authority is all about. Spiritual authority is obeying God's word because when the church is obedient, it's moving ahead and it's taking new territory. It's tearing down strongholds. That's where the power is. When people are obedient and they believe God's word by faith, not by sight, they need nothing else to prop up their faith. They have the word of God. God says it, I believe it, and that is what I'm going to do. That's where we ought to be. I shared with you my frustration about psychology and psychotherapy and the tremendous inroads that those two theoretical (laughs) theoretical sciences are making into the church, the inroads. I read to you an excerpt out of the L.A. Times and Time magazine last week. The church has been criticized over and over for its its, uh, uh, tendency to as it were, uh, buy high and sell low. If you know anything about the stock market, you know what I'm talking about. People jump on the bandwagon too late. The gist of the articles was that, was that social scientists now are looking at all the theories and everything they, they believe for so long and they're saying, it doesn't work. We don't know what works. Remember R.D. Lang said, In that that article, he said the best therapy he'd found for his own depression and anxiety was to hum a tune. Here's a guy that's a world-renowned expert on schizophrenia. And the best therapy he'd found is to hum a tune. And yet the church, the church has bought in to all of this stuff because the church lacks certainty in the Word of God. The church is not practiced in studying and learning and applying God's word daily. That we need to prop up our faith with other stuff. We need to run off to other places, other sources, human wisdom in an effort to find our sufficiency, in an effort to find the solutions to the dilemmas that face us daily. Folks, I'm here to tell you, and I love you dearly with all my heart, otherwise I would not be up here. God's word is sufficient. You need nothing else but God's word. That's all you need. That's all I need is God's word. There are people today who are, who are advocating a psychological salvation in place of the new birth. Paul says powerfully in that second chapter, of, or the fifth chapter of 2 Corinthians in the 17th verse, he says that old things are passed away. That in Christ we are new creatures, new creations. We are born again. Paul says in Romans that we have died with Christ. We were buried with him and through baptism have been raised to new life. We're not the same people anymore. And you're not going to realize the truth of that unless you begin to believe what the Bible says is true about you. If you're unwilling to believe that, you're going to continue to live in the same old mindset. The new birth, you've been born again. You're brand new people. Leaving behind the old things, press on to the upward calling. Press on. And how do you press on? By studying this book. By discovering what God says about you. By discovering His truth and growing and maturing and being nurtured in it. We don't need all this other stuff. We don't need a a whole religious science in the evangelical church. We don't need formulas. We don't need to be incanted over. I talked with a girl the other night. Broke my heart. She's been going through years of of, uh, visualization therapy where her counselor has had her visualizing Jesus taking her by the hand through every age of her life. I said, that's nothing more than reaching into the occult. That's nothing more than self-hypnosis. That's nothing more than opening yourself up to a a spirit guide. You have no guarantee that that's Jesus taking you through those stages of your life. You've opened yourself up. I said, you need to repent of that. You need to realize that the Bible says you've been born again, that you're a new creation. You don't need to raise up and drag up the past. It's dead and gone and buried. That's why we've got to be born again. That we're new creations. New creations that need to be nurtured in God's word, on the truth. You don't need to go through all those techniques and all that stuff. You don't need to learn all these formulas. You just need to learn God's word. Isn't that a relief? All you need is God's word. And to believe it, to step out there in naked faith. God, you says it, you say I'm a new creature. My flesh doesn't feel new. I'm afraid. But I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you and I'm going to continue to be obedient. If it kills me. <laughs> I mean, that has to be our attitude. God, I want you so much. I hunger for you so much that no matter what it takes, I'm going to be obedient. Well, I'm a new Christian, and I don't have all this experience. There's no lag time with God. I don't, if you're a Christian today, if you've just given your heart to Jesus, you've never cracked the Bible open in your life, you crack it open today, and you start reading it, and whatever you read, start putting into practice, and God will bless your life. He'll do it. You don't have to wait six months. You know, kind of build up a history with God. And... <laughs> he says, all right, now you got it together. Now I'll start working in your life. No. You start reading this book. You get born again because you had to be born again to understand it. And once you're born again, you start reading it and put it into practice. And then you see God working in your life powerfully. Shoot, when I first came to this church, I didn't come seeking God. I came seeking to expand my Amway business. That was my motive for coming to this church. And now I'm the pastor. Shoot. And God didn't wait six months. He started working on me right away. I have these concerns. And I have these concerns because I love you. Because I don't want you to be deceived. Satan is going around blowing in everybody's ear. He's raising up all kinds of diversionary tactics. He's deceiving people. He's lying to people. He says, You need this, you need that, you need this. You've got to have this in your life. And I say, No. I say, all you need is God's word in your life. You need to be feeding on God's word every single day. Feeding on it, learning it, knowing it. I had talked to a gal last week after service. She said to me, She said, I've been reading the Bible all my life. I said, Praise God. And she says, you know what I discovered? She says, I faced a crisis in the past couple of months in my life. I faced a crisis, and I didn't know the word of God. She says, I've been reading it, but I haven't been knowing it. I haven't been studying it. I haven't been hiding it in my heart. I haven't been making it mine. So that when I came into this period of crisis, I didn't know where to go. I was lost. I couldn't be comforted. I didn't know where to turn to say, oh, God, speak to me. As I know now, I know now what you're saying. I know now that I've got to learn the word of God. I've got to hide it away in my heart. So that when things attack me, when the enemy attacks, when the world attacks, when my flesh acts up, that I'm standing on the word of God and I know exactly where to stand, that I've got scripture that speaks right to the heart of the issue and reaffirms my faith. And too many times I think the church is just kind of religiously, idly reading the Bible. We do our 15 minutes in the morning, we have a little devotion, and we walk away, and 20 minutes later, someone says, what would you read? I can't remember. Rather than studying the Word of God, meditating on those scriptures, and throughout the day, over and over, saying, oh, Lord, thank you for that lesson. Thank you for teaching me that new thing today. And holding on to it. And building, building an understanding of the scriptures in your life every day. And growing and being nurtured by them every day. Not just once a week. Not just once a month. Not just Sunday morning. Every day. Luke, the 11th chapter, the 28th verse. The setting Jesus has just been teaching. He's confronted the, uh, the Pharisees. And uh, they've accused him of, of casting the devil out by, by the devil. So essentially he's, everything he's doing is, is the work of the devil. And after he's done teaching, a woman in the crowd yells out and she says, Oh, blessed be the woman who gave you birth and nursed you. Again, very sincere. She's very sincere. But she's, she doesn't have her focus on what Jesus is saying. And again, her flesh and the enemy causes distraction and gets the focus off of Jesus and off of the Word, off of His direction. And Jesus brings it back into perspective, and he says, blessed rather, not blessed is the woman who who, who gave birth to me, not blessed is the woman who who nursed me. He said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and what? Obey Obey it. (laughs) Blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. He says all spiritual sufficiency is bound up in hearing and obeying the word of God. Everything you need for life and happiness Everything you need for spiritual growth is bound up in hearing and obeying the Word of God. You can't obey the Word of God unless you understand it. And you can't understand it unless you're born again. You've got to be. Everything you need. Blessed is the man. What do we mean by blessed? Sometimes we think that blessed means just kind of a, a momentary tingle, a little excitement. But blessed means a state of bliss in which you live your life. A life that's full of joy and peace, strength. A life that's happy and fulfilled. A life that is blissful. It doesn't mean you go walk around with your head in the clouds. It means that no matter what happens in your life, you're undeterred in your purpose to live your life for Christ. That you live your life blissfully. And isn't that what we hunger for? Lord, I want a blissful life. I want peace and joy. I want a singing heart. I want my spirit to be full of joy i want my relationships with everybody my wife and my son and my friends and my neighbors i want all those relationships to be healthy and and growing and exciting or i want my work to be rewarding all those things speak to a blissful life blessed is the one who hears the word of god and obeys it that's where all spiritual sufficiency is wrapped up that's the key to life hearing the word of God and obeying it, not anything else. People say to me, well, don't you believe in counselors? Yes, yes, I was a counselor. (laughs) But I only believe in counselors who are praying and who are opening the word of God and counseling people from God's word. I do not believe in any other kind of counseling. If you're seeing counselor, if you're seeing an analyst, a therapist, a counselor, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, if you're seeing anybody that's giving you any kind of advice, and charging you money for it, don't you dare pay them unless they're praying with you and opening the Word of God and showing you from the Word of God, teaching you from the Word of God how to live your life, giving you God's direction. If they're not doing that, say, I'm not paying you until you start doing this. If they object, quit. Go find somebody else who will open God's Word to you. And if you're not sure about something they're saying if you're a little confused, you know what you say to them? Uh, Could you show me that in God's Word? Could you prove that to me from the Bible? Can you help me see that in the Bible? And not in one little isolated place. I want you to show me the principle. And I want you to show it to me from several places in the Scriptures. Because it's only with that kind of confirmation. Out of the mouth of two or more witnesses, the Bible says, do we understand and know the truth? So if you're in counseling... Make sure that your counselor is counseling you from the word of God. Otherwise, you don't know where it's coming from. All spiritual sufficiency, everything we need for life and godliness is coming from the word of God. That's all we need. James chapter 1, verse 25. Oh, I want to read this to you. I love this passage. James reinforces again what Paul says to us. Let me read this to you. It'd blow you away. James chapter 1, verse 25. James says, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law. What's another word for perfect? Complete? Sufficient? Totally adequate? But the man who looks intently into what? Into the perfect law. You know what the perfect law is? The word of God. The man who looks what? Intently into it to learn it, to understand it, to know it, to make it part of his life, to make it the rule of his life. This man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. You want freedom? You in bondage to something? Pornography? Huh? A lot of people are in bondage to pornography today, even in the church. You in bondage to um, drugs, alcohol, cigarettes? What is it? Your thought life disrupted? You feel somewhat fragmented, distracted about lots of things? You don't know where you're coming from? You don't know where you're going? You got got fears that rule your life, that keep you immobilized, that you can't step out of these fears? You know what you need to do? You need to look intently, intently into the perfect law. You need to study the Word of God to make it part of your life. And the Bible says that gives you freedom. Gives you freedom. Do you want to be free? Look into God's word. This person who does this and continues to do so. Not just a once in a while thing. It's a continual process. Not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it. Everything that we hear, everything we read, everything we study, we don't just let it pass through in one ear and out the other, but we do it. We act on it. This person who's doing these things, he will be blessed in what he does. Circumstances scary? Life crowding in on you? You don't know which way to go? Do it God's way. My little boy, he said to me yesterday, he said, Dad, before I went out of the house last night, he said to me, Dad? I said, yes, Michael. He said, you know what I want you to do? I said, what's that? He said, I want you to tell the people something. I said, what's that? He says, tell them to obey God. <laughs> Six and a half. This morning, he came to church with me. He loves to come with me early in the morning. On the, on the, on the drive-in this morning, he's in the back of the Volkswagen. He said, he said Dad, did you tell them? <laughs> I, said, I said, tell who? He said, the people. What people? People in church last night. I said, tell him what? Did you tell him to obey God? I said, I sure did. He said, good. (laughs) Oh, praise the Lord. The person who looks intently into the perfect law, who studies it and continues to do so, his life will be blessed. That's what the word of God says. It doesn't say look into the, into the, the perfect law intently and also add some other stuff to it. And then your life will be blessed, it says, look into the perfect law intently. He says over in the book of Acts, Luke writes in the 17th chapter, the 11th verse. Luke records for us that Paul had taken the gospel, the good news, the word of God to the Bereans. Now in your notes it says Bergens, that's a misprint. It should be the Bereans. The Bergens didn't live in Berea. But Luke calls them the most noble Christians. The most noble. Why does he call them the most noble? What makes them noble? Because he says that they they received the gospel with eagerness and they searched the scriptures daily. What did they need? They needed the word of God. The word of God was the key. What made them noble? The fact that they searched the Scriptures daily. They received with eagerness what was preached, and they searched the Scriptures daily. A daily diet of the Bible. A diet in which we feed every single day, which we're nourished every single day. That's the key to life. We don't need anything else. We just need the Word of God. When you become a Christian, start reading the Bible every day. Start studying the Bible every day. Start learning the Bible every day. The Word of God is powerful. Powerful. And it will enter your life when you begin to act on it and believe it, and your life will be changed. The bondages and the chains and the fears are going to be broken and cast away from you. God's power is going to be evident in your life. Just like the noble Bereans. In Colossians 3.16, Paul tells us, To let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Not a thin veneer. We just don't coat ourselves with a layer of of verses. But do we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly, deeply, that it permeates every aspect of our being. You want a happy life? You want a singing spirit? Do you want a joyful heart? You Do want a successful and a fulfilling marriage and family life do you want rewarding relationships with everybody you want your work to be rewarding or do you want to just continue to be crabbing at your job I'm continually amazed at people who are going through struggle after struggle after struggle and my counsel to them is constantly are you in the word well yes and no that the word they say that people today in the church lack certainty because they don't believe the word is sufficient and that they don't believe the Word is powerful, and the Word can help them as they take it into their life and they let the Word dwell richly in them. If you're in a lousy marriage and you like it, don't read the Bible. If you're in a job that you hate and you can't stand, you don't want anything to change, don't read the Bible. If your kids are going crazy and you, you like that, don't read the Bible. If you're depressed unhappy your heart isn't joyful your spirit isn't singing and you like that don't read the bible because you're going to change when you start reading the bible if you like your misery keep doing what you're doing if you want to change change what you're doing change the focus of your belief focus on the scriptures make them yours own them own them every day learn them apply them even if it kills you and sometimes it may seem like it will Sometimes you get out there and you're right out to the last last ounce of extremity you can have. You say, God, I can't hang on any longer, God. He says, yes, you can. Yes, you can. How do I know that? How do I know that you can hang on? Because God's word says it. No temptation has been, that we ever face, that God hasn't given us a way out. That God won't strengthen us. God will do it. Mm. let the word of christ dwell in us richly. first peter chapter two verse two he says crave here are the words he says crave pure spiritual milk the word in the greek there is logikon logikon and logos which means word logikon is the word we, from which we get logical these two words are both from the same root in some translations it's desire and crave the pure milk of the word as a baby, would crave milk. And if you're a mother, you know what that's all about, huh? That baby craves milk constantly. Paul says, as a baby craves milk, crave, as newborns, crave the pure milk of the Word. The pure milk, unadulterated, don't add anything to it. Just crave the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God is sufficient to nurture you against diseases crave the pure milk. You don't need anything else. This is pure. It's perfect. It's all you need. Over in 2 Peter, Peter writes, his divine power has given us everything. God's power has given us everything already we need for life and godliness. Life and godliness. That talks about it all, doesn't it? And God's power has given us everything. Now look what he says. Through our knowledge of him, As we grow in our knowledge of Him, through the Word, whoops, there go my notes. As we grow in our knowledge of Him, thank you, Larry. Thank you. Then we are going to realize God's power. We're going to realize everything that He's given us for life and godliness. How do you get to know God? How do you increase your knowledge of Him? Through the Word. This is the only place. You've got to read his autobiography. You've got to study it to get to know him. You can't get it any other place. You can't just run off to some, some cult and say, well, tell me about God. They're going to tell you stuff that they don't know. It's just supposition. You've got to go to the source. You've got to go to the authority. This is the only place we're going to know about God. And as we increase in our knowledge of God, as we increase in our knowledge of what he wants and how he works, what? His power is evidenced in our life. We're freed. In the 20th chapter of Acts, turn back there with me. There's a, it's just a couple of pages back here. Acts, the 20th chapter. Paul writes in the 20th verse, he says, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from place to place. Paul's taught him everything. He's taught them everything that would be helpful to them, everything that they needed. He's taught them the word of God. Drop down with me to verse 27. He says again, I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God or the whole counsel of God. Everything God wants them to know. Paul has preached it. Paul's taught it. He's taught them the Bible. Turn with me to the 32nd verse of that same chapter. He says, now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace. I commit you to his word. Look what he says, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified, all those who are being made holy, all those who are being separated away from sin and separated to God. I commend you to God and to the The word of his grace, his word, which can strengthen you, which can build you up, which can make you holy. God's word is sufficient. We need nothing else. We need nothing else. God's word. When we counsel one another, what do we need to do? Counsel one another on the word. What does the Bible say? What does God think about it? How does God see it? How does God look at it? What does God say about it? Whatever the issue, what's the Bible say? this book has everything we need for life and godliness this is the key to everything this book and paul says i commit you to god into the word of his grace which is able to build you up god's word is able to build you up and to make you holy as you hear it and obey it isn't that exciting I don't need to run from here to there. I don't need to learn all this philosophy. I don't need to read all these books. I just need to study the Word of God. I just need to study the Word of God, and God's going to work in me as I begin to put into practice the things that he says to do. Simple. Simple. Paul says to us or um, in Colossians, the second chapter, he says, "...in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." Woo, listen to that. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything you need to know. You want to be wise? Know the Bible. You want to have knowledge? Know the Bible. You want to have access to what's true? Know the Bible. Turn to Colossians. There's a couple of verses I want you to look at. The second chapter of Colossians. If you're new, then ask someone next to you to help you. It's just a few books over. It's right after Philippians. Listen to what he says. In verse 4, after he's already told us that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, verse 4, he says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. And people are going to say, oh, no, well, well Jesus is good, but you need this too. You need the teachings of Mary Baker, Mary Baker Eddy. right? You need the writings of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. You need the edicts of the Catholic Church along with all the Bible. You need to have uh this formula to release you from uh, whatever you got to have all this other stuff no no in christ are hidden all all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge get to know christ get to know his word and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free isn't that what jesus said jesus said the truth will set you free he says and paul says i'm telling you this so that you won't be deceived by fine-sounding arguments oh that sounds good oh yeah well okay well yeah that makes sense what does the Bible say about it? Paul goes on in that passage. He says in verse 6, So then just as you received Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him. You've been rooted in Him. It's like he said to the Galatians, Oh, you started so well in the Spirit, are you going to be completed in the flesh? When he rebuked the Galatians in the third chapter, the third verse? He's saying the same to the Colossians. He says you've been rooted in Christ. Be built up in Him. Continue in Him. Continue in the word. You started off so well. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. All we need to know is what does God say about it? How does God see it? What does God think about it? What does God want? And the only place we're going to find that out is in God's word. And if you're getting counsel, if you're getting advice, if you're seeking your sufficiency in other sources, you're missing the point. And you're going to continue to go round and round and round in circles. God's word is sufficient. 1 John, John writes... He says, you know the truth. You have an anointing from the Holy One. The anointing is the Holy Spirit from the Holy One, from God. And this anointing resides in you and stays with you. And it's through this anointing that you're taught the truth. He says, and you know the truth. That's why I'm writing this to you, to remind you. He says, you have no need to be taught by any other man. You have no need to be taught by human wisdom and human philosophy. Why? Why? Because you have an anointing that remains in you and that teaches you the truth. And he teaches you the truth through the word of God. The Holy Spirit living in you as you soak in the word of God, the Holy Spirit teaches you the truth of God. 1 Thessalonians, the second chapter. Paul writes, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Listen to that. The word of God, which is at work in you who believe. God's word is powerful. It's working in people who read it and believe it, who put it into practice. It's working in them to change them. God's word. Those who believe. Those who are standing out there in naked face saying, okay, God, your word says it. This is how I'm going to live my life. I know know what's around me. I see my circumstances. They don't look good. You know Abraham? I love Abraham. one of my favorite biblical personages. Here's a guy that God promised him a son, promised him he'd be the father of a wealth of nations. And between the time of the promise and the fulfillment of the promise when he got Isaac, his son, 25 years transpired. His circumstances didn't look good. Paul writes in the fourth chapter of Romans that that Abram was impotent. Sarah had already gone through menopause. Humanly speaking, it was impossible for them to have a kid. And yet he said he believed and trusted God's word. Woo! Isn't that exciting? God's word, because Abraham believed God was at work in Abraham to overcome impossible circumstances. Wow. Impossible circumstances. Because he believed God's word. God's word was at work in him. Powerful. Job, oh, I love this. You've got to see this. The 23rd chapter of Job. Job is right before Psalms. Psalms is about in the middle of the Bible. The 23rd chapter. You're going to love this, I hope. Job, the 23rd chapter. And the uh, twelfth verse. I'm in Psalms here. I've got to get to Job. Look what he says. Now, Job, Job had every reason to complain, humanly speaking. Job's circumstances were terrible. He'd lost his family. He'd lost his wealth. He'd lost his flocks. He'd lost his home. He even lost his health. He had nothing. He was reduced to absolute poverty by God's permission. And the interesting thing is that he didn't deserve all this. If you read the very first verse of the book of Job, we're told that Job was upstanding, he was upright, he was fearing evil, he was turning away from it, he was obeying God, he was a most righteous man. And yet all this stuff befalls him. And in the 12th verse of this 23rd chapter, listen to what Job says. A man in the midst of a loss, most of us would just cash it all in. Job says in the 12th verse, listen to this. I have not departed from the commands of his lips. My circumstances are lousy. And I don't like it. But they're not enough to drive me from the commands of his lips. He goes on and he says, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. (laughs) Woo, do you love that? He says, I have esteemed God's word more highly than my daily food. God's word is more important to me than eating. For most of us, our lives are a mess because it's a simple matter of priorities. Our priorities are out of line, God's not first. The sixth chapter of Matthew, Jesus says what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be taken care of. Blank check. Blank check. What do we esteem most? Ourself? You heard me say last week that this, this preoccupation with self-esteem and, and, and self-love and self-fulfillment and self-actualization knows no biblical counterpart. People run around and say, Well, I have low self-esteem. Good. God bless you. That's what God's trying to get into your head. He's trying to break you down so he can build you up. Quit trying to seek yourself. Jesus says, pick up your cross. You know what the cross was? It's an instrument of death. He's not saying pick up your inconveniences. Pick up the little troubles that bother you every day. Pick up the cross. Die daily and follow after me. Wow. And yet, you know, we're saying I have low self-esteem. Somebody rub my tummy, please. That's where we're at. We've been sold a bill of goods and we bought it. The Bible knows no counterpart to that. The Bible says, no, you got to die. you got to die. Job learned that. And Job said, I esteem, I treasure the words of his mouth more than my necessary daily food. Where's your priority? God's word is your priority? Or other stuff? Look at your life. Look at what your priorities are. If God's word is your priority, you make it your priority, you're learning it, you're obeying it, you're putting it into practice every day, you're applying it, then your life is going to bear good fruit, healthy fruit. A couple more than we're done. God, rush through these things. Spend all day on them. Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. Woo, turn to this one. Deuteronomy. Powerful. Back in the Old Testament... Page 185, the sixth chapter of Deuteronomy. Oh, listen to this. This is the law of Moses. Deuteronomy, it means the second law, the giving of the law for the second time. It's codified. And Moses, before he passes off the scene, before he passes the baton of leadership to Joshua, he pronounces the law to the nation of Israel. And look what he says. Start with me, the fourth verse. Hear, O Israel! The Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's a basic doctrinal statement of basic truth about God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now there were some other things true about God, but this was a summary statement about who he was. And then he goes on and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Again, a summary statement of the whole law that God had given Israel. There were lots of laws. There were hundreds of them. And all the laws governed every tiny aspect of the life of Israel. Why? So they would keep, keep focused on the Lord. Every, every aspect of their life caused them, because the law governed every aspect, caused them to keep focusing back on the Lord. And this was a summary statement of the entire law. Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with your whole mind, with your whole soul, and your whole strength. Did Jesus say that was the great commandment? When the young lawyer came and talked to him, he says, what's the greatest commandment? Testing it? Jesus points to this one. And then he says, verse 6, Moses says, These commandments that I have given you today are to be upon your hearts. Upon your hearts. You're to know them. They're to be deep inside of you so that you can recall them at a moment's notice. So that they nourish you and strengthen you. They're to be part of your life, the depth of your life. These commands, these laws, these principles, these truths, are to be so much a part of you that they're on your heart. You ever had somebody on your heart? You know, what that means? You know we use that expression, on your heart. They're always on your mind, aren't they? They're always before your mind. They're, they're, they're a priority in your life. This person is on my heart. You've been on my heart all day. I've been thinking about you all day. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about making God's word so prominent in your life that it's on your heart continuously. And then he says, listen to this in verse 7 impress them on your children. Pass them on to the next generation so that they're on the children's heart. Don't just mention them. Don't just send the kid off and say, oh, go read your Bible. Don't just trust him into the Sunday school. Impress God's truths on the hearts of your children, parents. Teach them. Live them. How do you do that? Here he says it. He says, talk about them when you sit at home. Talk about them around the dinner table. Talk about them when you got the TV on. Talk about them when you're... Just sitting around talking. Talk about what? The word of God. The principles of God. The truth of God. Talk about it when you walk along the road, when you leave the house, wherever you're going. Talk about the word of God. This is how you press upon them on your children. You're continually raising them. Kids say something, oh, is that all you talk about? Oh, there's nothing else. The word of God. What else does he say? Not only to talk about them at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. That you've got the Word of God is constantly occupying your attention. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. The Word of God is to occupy all of our attention, no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing. Every place we look, we've got to see and understand and buy into the Word of God. That's how important, that's how significant God's Word is. He's given it to us. He'll say, Just Give me freedom. You don't need anything else. You believe the Word of God and you begin to act on it. You impress it on the hearts of your children. Generation after generation after generation. Two more and we'll be done. Luke the 16th chapter. Ooh, powerful passage. Powerful passage. It's been said in the church today that the simple gospel is no longer sufficient that we need signs and wonders to reach the world. In evangelical circles, in missionary circles, that's what's being said today, that the simple gospel is no longer sufficient. The word of God needs to be propped up by signs and wonders. Well, if that's true, I want to see what the word of God has to say about that. I want to hear what Jesus has to say about that. The passage we're, we're going to look at real quickly, Jesus recounts the story of Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus sat at the rich man's gate, begging every day. The rich man had his full. His barns were filled. He had everything he wanted. All Lazarus wanted were the crumbs that would fall from Lazarus' table. Jesus says that the dogs came and licked the sores on Lazarus' body, the sores that were weeping. He was a man who was in desperate need. And the rich man would do nothing. He would not lift one finger to help. Well, time passed. They both died. Jesus said that uh, Lazarus went to his reward, he went to Abraham's bosom, that the rich man went to hell. And I want you to read with me if you're there, what happened? happen. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And so he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. Well, that's an indictment, isn't it? All the pleasure-seeking and wealth-seeking and worldly-seeking people. In this life, you get your reward. That's what he's saying. He said, "While well, Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted, and he's comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, uh, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us." He answered, "Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers." Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. That's spectacular evangelism. Let somebody come back from the dead and say, Oh, I've been to hell. Don't go there. It's a bad place. That's spectacular evangelism. Oh, Father Abraham, send Lazarus back. Tell my brothers, "Woo, hell, you don't want to go there. If someone comes back from the dead, they'll believe. Look what he says. Abraham replied, what, verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets, let them listen to them. They have what? They have the word of God. (laughs) The word of God is sufficient. He says, oh no, Father Abraham, if someone comes from the dead and he goes to them, they will repent. This is a spectacular evangelism. What does Abraham say? If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, if they do not believe the word of God, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. you need signs and wonders to prop up evangelism? No. Out of Jesus' own mouth, if you do not believe the word of God, all the miracles in the world aren't going to convince you. Jesus spent three years working miracles. And everybody deserted him. They nailed him to a cross. Miracles aren't the answer. Jesus healed out of compassion. Signs and wonders aren't the, aren't the real issue. That's not what we're seeking after. The simple gospel is enough. The word of God is powerful. All we need is the word of God. That's all we need. Jesus rose from the dead and people still don't believe. Jesus came back and people still don't believe. The word of God is sufficient. The last verse. Turn with me to, this is one you need to look at. 2 Timothy, the third chapter. Right before James. Or I'm sorry, Hebrews. Second Timothy, the third chapter. Last statement. Fifteenth verse. Paul writes to Timothy, a young pastor, new in the ministry. Here's what he writes to him. He says, And how from infancy you have known what? The holy scriptures. That's all you need. From infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures. Nothing else. The Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation. The Scriptures are sufficient. The Holy Scriptures make you wise for salvation. The Bible. You don't know anything else. Through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says in the 16th verse, all Scripture is God-breathed. God-inspired, God-given. Men wrote it down, but God worked in those men to give them the thoughts and the words to write down. He so governed and oversaw the process that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness. Teaching. Teaching you everything you need to know. Giving you knowledge and wisdom. Correcting. Stop doing this. Or rebuking. Stop doing this. Correcting. Start doing this. Training in righteousness for everything you need to live your life. Training in righteousness. The scriptures are useful for that. It doesn't say the scriptures plus something else, does it? The Word of God and the Word of God alone. Verse 17 So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Woo, there it is. The Word of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How? Through the Bible. The word of God, that's all he needs. God's word is sufficient. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, I pray that we would, we would hunger for your word. I pray that every single one of us, Lord, would, would be spoken to by your spirit, that we would be new, renewed and excited and enthused by your word. The very thought of reading it, studying it, excites us that, Lord, your word would be the priority in our life, that everything else would pale in comparison. Lord, strengthen us, I pray, that we might be like the noble Bereans who receive with eagerness the word of God and that we study daily, Lord, your word. Oh, we long to be noble Christians, fulfilled, with joyful hearts, singing spirits, Lord. Healthy relationships. All the wonderful gifts that you've given us. Lord, that we might enjoy them. And Father, it's very clear that the only way these things are going to happen is as we put our faith and our trust in your word, we hear your word, and we obey it every day. Your word is sufficient, God. Thank you for it. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.